All right, we started a new message series, actually Wednesday, Ash Wednesday. Uh, but this new message series is going to go all the way through Easter Sunday. And the title is simply The Gospel in Seven Words. Seven words. So I would ask you, in seven words or less, if you can't tell I'm trying to stretch out till I get some slides here on the screen. <laughs> I am not prepared uh, for no slides. So uh, the gospel in seven words or less, uh, there's nothing magical or unique about seven. Right? We could just as easily be the gospel in two words. The gospel in ten words could even be the gospel in 18 words. But we specifically chose the number seven because it's more about just being prepared. If God gives you or me an opportunity to share our faith in Jesus Christ... Are we prepared in as little as seven words? So here's one of the truths we see in the Bible that to be a Christian, a believer in Jesus Christ, to be a Christian is also to be a confessor. To be a Christian is to be a confessor. For example, a couple Bible verses come to mind. Paul's words in Romans 10 if you confess with your mouth Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. All right, think of Jesus' words in Matthew 10. Whoever confesses me before men, I will confess before my Father in heaven. So to be a Christian is to be a confessor. See, our faith in Jesus Christ comes with a voice. It always has vocal cords. And so we could push that one more step. To be a confessor means that we are also prepared to confess. If we had a theme verse for this series, it would be these words from Peter where he tells us always be prepared to do what? <laughs> to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet with gentleness and respect. But the call is there from God as his children Always be prepared. So are we? Are you prepared? Am I prepared? If the Holy Spirit gave us a small window on an elevator to have an elevator conversation between floors, are we prepared in seven words? Right, there's not time to just give a rote recitement of the Apostles' Creed. 
A person probably doesn't want that anyway if they asked about our faith. There's not time to give a doctrinal treatise. But there would be time to get seven words of hope in there. Or even in a checkout line. Whether it's conversation with the person in front of you, or maybe the person behind you, or maybe with a cashier. Are we prepared to give a reason for the hope that is inside us. To help us prime the pump as we start to think about, goodness, what is my own confession of faith? What would I put in that? What would that include? I think that in summary and basis that, that each confession, gospel confession, should have two parts. Part one, it doesn't have to be in this order, but at least it should contain some kind of statement of human need. What do I mean by human need? Are we fragile? Yes. Are we fallen? Indeed. Are we failing every day? Are we sinful? Of course. So some portion of our brokenness and sin, because unless we recognize our need for Jesus we won't really ever appreciate him much. The second part, though, of this gospel confession, the central part of a gospel confession, is the good news of Jesus Christ. Right? He is the answer. Now, we can't squeeze the whole doctrine of Jesus into seven words or less, but in our gospel statement, we could at least have one aspect of his work for us. And so here are a couple examples that others have formulated. One of those, and you'll see both parts here, in Christ, God's yes defeats our no. Or God through Jesus welcomes us anyways. Notice the human need in both, our no. Right? There are many times a day we each say no to God, to His word and His will and His ways, and we do what we want. Same thing, God welcomes us anyways. God had every right in our sin to just let us die in it, apart from Him. But then notice the centrality of the gospel in both. That in Jesus, we have God's triumphant yes. And we have a God who says, welcome and come to me anyways. I encourage you, as we start to push through this these next several weeks, if you're really good and crafty with words, that's awesome. You might already have seven words written down somewhere, typed on your phone. I would encourage you, though, to not just, if that's you, just say, oh, sweet, whoop, here's mine, I'm done for the series. And tune out, right? But give this some prayer, give this some consideration. I would even encourage you, maybe have another seven words and try to ground them in a text of Scripture because the power is always in the Word. So that's what we're going to do right now. Let's look at our text that was read moments ago. Let's see our human need. Let's see the incredible good news of Jesus. And then let's bring that down to our own seven-word confession. Here we go. 
Paul starts out. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. One word jumps off the page there, and it's this word new. I don't often do this, but this one merits it. The Greek New Testament actually has two different words for new, and they both mean something different. The Greek has the word neos. Neos, translated new in English, really means something that is made afresh, something that is rebuilt, something that is redone, or something that is renewed. So Paul uses this word elsewhere to speak of the new moon. Right? Every time the new moon comes, it's not a completely different new moon. It's the same one, but just fresh. Or the Greek also has another word for new, kainos. Kainos means totally brand spanking new. It was not present before. It is completely different. When Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Guess which Greek word he uses? Kainos. If you are in Christ, you are a completely new person. Not just remade, not rebuilt, not freshened up. You are brand spanking new. That's powerful. I couldn't help it, so literally this morning I was up early. I get excited about text and, and preaching. Uh, I said, well, what about the end of the Bible? Where Peter and John in Revelation talk about when Jesus comes back, we get a new heavens and a new earth. Are those a netos, meaning God's going to just refurb this earth? Or is it kainos, totally new? Both of them. Both of them. Second Peter and Revelation 21. It's kainos. When Jesus Christ comes back, we get a completely brand new heaven and earth. Sin has never been. Sin will never, ever be. But this is you already in Jesus Christ. Completely new. Every old part of you is gone. You are new. Where does all this newness come from? Paul is clear as he continues. Look at verse 18. All of it, all of your newness is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting our sins against us, and entrusting to us this message of reconciliation. Four times in two verses. It'd be five if we added verse 20. Paul mentions this word reconciliation. It's here more than anywhere else in the Bible. What's that mean? 
to be reconciled. If a marriage is having trouble, as all marriages have troubles, sometimes we might hear of a husband and wife separating. Of course, we pray that usually the separation is temporary and that sometimes through Christian counseling and spiritual care, we sometimes see it worked out and husband and wife come back together. When that happens, what do we call it? They reconciled. See, what does this word reconcile imply about our human need? If we had to be reconciled to God, that means that there must have been a really big separation a division, a chasm where there was hostility, where there was enmity, where man was on one side and God was on the other. And because of our sinfulness, we dug a hole so deep, we erected a wall so high that we could never in any way, shape, or form do anything to try to crawl back over to God. There's only one way to solve this. We had to be reconciled. And that's what Paul just told us. In verses 18 and 19, he says, God in Christ reconciled us to himself. God did the reconciling. So it's not like when we were here and God was here, we took a couple steps this way and then God took a few steps and we met somewhere in the middle. No. Paul said, eh, God in Christ reconciled us, meaning God came over and did it all. It was all his initiative. It was all his doing. And in the text, it's a past tense, reconciled us, meaning it is all done. It's completed. It's finished. And in 18 and 19, how did God do such reconciling? Now it's upside down. For Jesus Christ. God laid his own son across the chasm and came to us. And did you catch in both verses that his reconciliation is universal? In 18 it says, God in Christ reconciled us to himself. In 19, that in Christ God was reconciling the world. Every person, man, woman, child. God has gone through extraordinary price to reconcile. And though it's not in this specific text, we know that from the biblical view that this reconciliation is only appropriated to us, is only given to us one way. 
and that's through faith in Jesus Christ. But even our faith in Jesus Christ is not our doing. God does all of that too through the Holy Spirit, working through that gospel message, working through baptism. And Paul says that when the reconciliation has been appropriated to you and me, it means what? That there is never, ever going to be a sin against you in your account for eternity. Because it's already been placed here. That's gospel news. That's the reason for the hope that is in us. But Paul doesn't just stop at this incredible gospel that we receive of reconciliation in Jesus Christ. Remember that to be a Christian is to be what? A confessor. That our faith has vocal cords. Look at how Paul wraps up this section. This God who has completely reconciled us in Jesus Christ has now entrusted to us this message of reconciliation. He says we are therefore ambassadors for Christ. What's an ambassador? They had him in Paul's day. We still have ambassadors today. An ambassador is an official envoy or, or a, part, a representative of a king or queen or government who goes to another like king or queen or government and is the official voice for that sending king, queen or government. So that whoever the ambassador is, they go in the full authority and voice of the governing agency. So when Paul says, <laughs> we are ambassadors for Christ, what's he saying? We are the king's official envoy. He has entrusted to us a message to give to this world. And so when we speak, we are speaking in His full authority. And He's even given us the message that we carry in His stead. And what's the message? Look at the end of verse 20. This is what we ambassador for Christ. We beg you on His behalf. Be reconciled to God. That's the message we carry. And note again that it's passive. Be reconciled. Because God does all the work through faith in Jesus Christ. What's our challenge in this series? As Christians who are confessors, 
Let's do it in seven words or less. So here are the seven words that came to my mind as we just worked through this text. God in Jesus Christ reconciled us back. Human need? <laughs> oh, yes. Centrality of Jesus Christ and His promise? Absolutely. That's mine. Now it's your turn. Amen. When we get to upper room time, I have some questions from this to help stir this. If you put what we just heard in seven words or less, what might I use? So begin to give that some prayerful consideration and those words will guide you later.